Didn't you tell me about someone taking a cardboard cutout of Melanie to prom or something weird like no. that? Yes, I did, but... Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. Sean looks baffled right now. He's like puzzled. I just thought I'd try a new thing with the intro where I make direct eye contact with both of you and see what your reactions are. Peter and I are about six feet apart and Sean's eyes do not have the ability to see both at once. I was going back and forth. He was very shifty eyed. Looking at you. I thought there was a tennis match happening here. He's playing Pong off of our (laughs) heads. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, and I'm joined by my regular co-host, permanent chairman of the Bob Dole for President campaign, Jeremy Ruggles. And of course, president of the men's chapter of the Red Hat Society, Peter Cook. Hello! Uh, Peter. You made the selection this week. What are you going to subject us to? I did make the selection this week, Sean, and this week we are going to focus on Melanie in her 1971 release, Gather Me, which came out on Neighborhood Records in October of that year. And it's really good. Yeah, Jeremy. I didn't appreciate your tone there, Sean. Which tone? It was like B flat. (laughs) B sharp. That's not a note. Oh, That's like a Simpsons okay. joke, I think. All so right. do we grill Peter on the, with the questions now or later? Do you want to be grilled now or later? Well, I'm fine with being grilled now. Get that out of the way so I'm not waiting for it. Okay. How many albums did she do before this one? I believe that this was, I want to say, Melanie's fifth album. No, sixth. it wasn't. It was her seventh. It was her seventh? According to Discogs. Okay. What is Melanie's last name? Safka. Mm-hmm. Where does that name come from? It's probably Ukrainian. Probably or definitely? It's Russian or Ukrainian. What's her mother's maiden name? It's Italian, whatever it is. I don't know what it is. (laughs) Failing. Uh, What did her father drink every night before withholding any signs of affection to her? Love. He drank love? Love, courage, respect, honor, dignity, trust, <laughs> compassion. Go shot, I'm scared. <laughs> uh, what are the, the variations in the spelling of her name? S-A, her last name, her surname, or her given name? The uh, Melanie, what are the variations in spelling? And what's the correct way to spell it? Well, I think it's M-E-L-A-N-I-E. Uh-huh. Are there variations? Uh-huh. <laughs> M-E-A... M E L A N I? No. Why? <laughs> no. Melanie Ann Safka Chikarik. What's your favorite chord? G. G That's funk. What I was thinking too, except without the funk. Well, that was fun. You want to tell us about <laughs> Melanie? I think I've we've covered everything I know about her. True or false? She still has a MySpace page. 
I would say true. Yes. <laughs> true or false, she has a reverb page. True. Well, if it is, it's not linked on Discogs. So. Ooh. Well, would you like to know how I've acquired so much information about Melanie? Yes. Yeah. Do you know Melanie personally? <laughs> I don't know Melanie personally. Okay. But I have been aware of Melanie for about 20 years. Wow. Since the 90s, 1999 to be That's exact. older than I am. <laughs> you were born in 2005? Yeah. Yeah. Jeremy's 14 <laughs> right now. Either of you ever been to a new way in Kalamazoo? Mm-hmm. Yes, more localized information for our listeners. Well, new Way Thrift Store. It's a thrift store. I was How's there. that spelled? <laughs> N-U, like the metal. It's New, new sure Metal is. Way. <laughs> I was there in 1999, and this was before the vinyl revival, and you could get a lot. I mean, you probably still can get 25-cent, 50-cent records at the thrift stores. They probably have jacked them up, though, a little bit. They're a whole dollar now. Yeah. <laughs> They are a whole dollar. Well, it still falls in the criteria of the show. Probably the only difference is how much more picked through they are these days. Yeah, I was going to say 1999 is probably the last year anybody found a good record at the New Way thrift store. (laughs) Well, I found a strange compilation, a collection called Do It Now, 20 Giant Hits, which came out on a label called Ronco in 1970. Mm -hmm. And the first song on it, 1970, Now, or Do Do It Now, Big Hits, was the Beatles Nowhere Man, which is what a five-year-old song at that point or something like that, followed by a song called What Have They Done to My Song, Ma, by Melanie. I had no idea who she was, but the song was unique enough that it caught my attention. I really liked her voice, slightly odd, and didn't know much more about Melanie, never heard of her. So I was probably in a CD store and picked up a collection of her her best of melody collection and I think at that point in time I probably recognized brand new key when I heard it I, I probably oh that song I do know I got a pair of brand new roller skates did I just spoil it no I mean that's a pretty well known song we will be talking about it. it is on the cell spoiler alert that's exactly how that song goes <laughs> yeah it's also on the Boogie Nights soundtrack which may be some people's only reference to that song <laughs> yes exactly and I think that's probably how anyone that wasn't alive in the late 60s or early 70s would know Melanie is from that song and probably from its use in pop culture <laughs> And But she was, for a few years there, a pretty big name. The song that I just mentioned, What Have They Done to My Song, Ma, was covered by both Ray Charles and Nina Simone. Two very drastically different versions. Hmm. Wow. And funny enough, when when Ray Charles covered it, he changed the title to Look What They've Done to My Song, Ma. So he did something to her song in covering it. Uh, (laughs) Side note, I wish any nina simone record you could find for a dollar oh yeah. i want all of them and just they're all so expensive yeah it hurts we can try to find a way to do have uh, nina simone on the program at some point it just doesn't fit yeah <laughs> just it can't we can never have that maybe we could find a compilation that she's on that is somehow maybe uh, like under five dollars it's all mississippi goddamn versions <laughs> yeah well, 
I picked up the copy of the album that we're talking about today. I picked up various stuff of Melanie's over the years, and I believe I got this at Corner Record Shop when it existed in Kalamazoo around 2013 or 2014. And I'm sure I, if I paid five bucks for it, I'd be surprised. Sean, you said this is yeah. one you saw, you've seen pretty often. Yeah, you, you find this one all over the place. If you paid five, you probably paid too much for it. It was certified gold in the U.S., so it sold a lot of copies that, on the strength of Brand New Key, which we will talk about. It was produced by Peter Shakarik, who's Melanie's husband and manager. We'll talk more about him later. The arrangements on it were by Roger Kellaway, who worked on four Melanie albums. He also worked with Carmen McRae, Liza Minnelli, and Robin Ford. And... I'd like to, at this point, just go ahead and play a selection from the album. Uh, note Kellaway's kind of honky-tonk or ragtime piano on the song Someday I'll Be a Farmer, song two on side one of Gather Me. Someday I'll be a farmer working the land Wish I was a farmer to work with my hands Cause it's been too long a ride, too high the fare Well I built and climbed a mountain but it wasn't there And I've been looking all around, looked everywhere Well I built and climbed a mountain but it wasn't there It isn't there, dum da dum it isn't here, it isn't there, nor anywhere I'm gonna pick an apple right from the tree I'm gonna eat the apple cause it grew there for me And it's been too long a ride to hide the fair Well I built and climbed a mountain but it wasn't there and I've been Looking all around, looked everywhere To build and climb a mountain If it isn't there, it isn't there dum da dum It isn't here, it isn't there Nor anywhere Anyone looking for this album? It'll probably be sold by the time you hear this podcast But Sean's got on his site right now for $3 Yep, two ninety nine. Two ninety nine. And if you order $40 or more, I'll give you free shipping in the United States of America. Wow. Yeah. What a what a plug for Look me a up. D- that... DJ Hard Bargain on Discogs.com, baby. Now I see why we started this podcast. Yes. If you like <laughs> this music, it probably will not be there for you. Jeremy, you were saying while we were listening to that, that initially when you heard that song, you didn't think you cared for it too much. Yeah. It started off with the, the honky tonk thing. And it felt very cliche, and she's like talking about being a farmer. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, hippie. But then it like opens up into the, I don't even know if it's a chorus necessarily, because it's not anthemic or anything. Then like interesting lyricism just starts pouring out, and the chord changes get more interesting. melodies. Yeah. And I was like, wow. That was where I kind of turned the corner on this album and was like, you know, Melanie's cool. <laughs> That's why I chose this as the first song to play, because I think that because of Brand New Key being her best-known song, she's sort of thought of as being this novelty musician, 
And that one almost starts out sounding that way. And then she quickly changes things up and it you get you know kind of her full range of her voice there and that real power behind her voice and lyrically as well as you mentioned but it has that ragtimey honky-tonk piano that i think is the ranger roger kelway who's playing the piano on this almost sounds like it could be a fender Rhodes or something like that that's being played on brand new key has some similar sounds on it and i think those are the only two songs that really lean in that direction yeah those yeah, and I appreciate that it doesn't lean in that direction too much. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I would have chosen this if all the songs were in that Just style. Ragtime with hippie words on it. Ugh. <laughs> It'd be like your other album you picked. Spirit. Spirit. Spirit's Rebellious. Brand New Key, we'll talk about it now because it is the best-known song from this and the reason that it sold as many copies as it did. Melanie wrote that song coming off of a 27-day fast on only water. And she had been a vegetarian, but as she was getting up one morning, she was walking by a McDonald's and just suddenly was overcome with the urge to get the whole works. And she's coming off a fast, sees McDonald's, buys a burger, shake, and fries. And as she finished her last bite, the brand new pair of roller skate song came into her head. And hmm. she says the aroma just brought back childhood memories of roller skating and biking. Wow. I <laughs> kind of liked this song, even though I had heard it before. Now I kind of hate it, knowing that it was inspired by McDonald's. Well, so a lot of people think that it has like, sexual innuendo to it. And it was actually banned from some radio stations at the time. Hmm. She claims to have written it without that intent. She said she wrote it in about 15 minutes one night. She thought it was cute, kind of an old 30s tune. She says, I guess a key and lock have always been Freudian symbols, and pretty obvious ones at that. There was no deep, serious expression behind the song, but people read things into it. Wow, shocking. They read <laughs> sexual overtones into the young lady's songs. Yeah. <laughs> and and then, she's. Go. Yeah, and then being on the Boogie Nights soundtrack probably didn't help with that reputation <laughs> yeah, either. Probably not. <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's just go ahead and listen to uh, Brand New Key. Now, and, and one thing I'll, I'll point out is I think that Melanie might have even known in at the point that she was recording this that it was going to be perceived as a novelty song. And I noticed that she actually only does the chorus twice. The very iconic chorus is only saying twice. After the second verse, they just go off into kind of a wordless thing. We'll just go ahead and listen to it and just t- take note of that. We'll come back in. I think she was on to the fact that this would be received as it was. I rode my bicycle past your window last night. I roller-skated to your door. Too fast. 
you said you found a bit of information about the session players on this album. Yeah. I was just looking up all the people that played on it and seeing what other associations there are. For one thing, there's three harmonica players on this record. Necessary. <laughs> yeah. Are, like, are they all playing at once? <laughs> I hope so. It's all synchronized. Toots Thielmans is one of the harmonica players, which is interesting. Is probably the only famous jazz harmonica player. The really interesting association, the person with credit as playing woodwinds on this, George Marge, also played on a really cool free jazz record that's in my collection from 1967 the bill dixon orchestra intents and purposes he's playing on looks like two or three of the tracks from that and that's one of my all-time favorite free jazz records it's an interesting juxtaposition a little bit two sides of the spectrum there absolutely he also plays on an album called the day in the life by west montgomery what? oh wow we just did that album last week wow <laughs> Maybe uh, next week, John, you should pick your uh, album based on him appearing on, yeah. on it. He also plays on an album called Road Song by Wes Montgomery. and That's uh, his last album that I was trying to remember the name of on yeah. the last one. Yeah. If I had done even an iota of research about Melanie, I probably would have figured that out. Yeah. He also played on an album called Down Here on the Ground by Wes Montgomery. <laughs> heard of that one yeah, yeah okay yeah, cool yeah, thanks peter do you have anything else you want to say about melanie i think we're good no i did <laughs> want to <laughs> i wanted to talk a little bit about brand new key well i just wanted to talk about that it did reach number one on the billboard charts on, on christmas of 1971 wow. and it was there through january 8th of 1972 and i just found this fascinating when i was looking at the billboard charts and trying to figure out how long it was uh, brand new key was up at number one and I saw, I just noticed that 1971-1972 were some hot years for music. Preceding Brand New Key at number one, going in reverse, was Sly and the Family Stone's The Family Affair. Mm. The Theme from Shaft by Isaac Hayes. Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves by Cher. Maggie May by Rod Stewart. Mm. I kept going back until I saw a title I didn't recognize. I didn't recognize Go Away Little Girl by Donny Osmond. Okay, I, I, did, I felt kind of proud of that. So then going forward into 1972, it was knocked off of number one. Brand New Key was knocked out of the number one spot by American Pie by Don McLean, followed by Let's Stay Together by Al Green, Ooh. then Without You by Nilsson, Ooh. Heart of Gold by Neil Young, A Horse With No Name by America, and Jeremy, you are going to be mad at me for this one. This is the one I didn't know by title. The first time ever I saw your face by Roberta Flack. Aww, I didn't recognize that one or know it when I listened to it's it. It's really like crazy if you think about those names you just said. Before the song was super funky, Groover songs, and then it seems like afterwards was like a bunch of sentimental, slower jam vibes. Yeah, I thought it was a good indication of looking at all those song titles, thinking that they were that in demand. Yeah. In that time period. I wonder period. if there's like seasonal changes with which types, and there probably are, which types of sense. songs are popular with people. We can analyze it further if you like, or we can talk a little bit about Melanie's... Let's talk about back. Melanie. Okay. So Melanie was born Melanie Ann Safka on February 3rd, 1947 in Queens, New York. He's done his research. <laughs> 
to a Russian Ukrainian father and an Italian Italian mother who was a jazz singer. Melanie started her career in Greenwich Village. She sang around in folk clubs like The Bitter End on Bleecker Street. She says that she, I went out to imitate Edith Piaf and Billie Holiday and got it wrong. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it was like in listening to this album, I could hear so many voices that I feel like she must have influenced. Even like strange, like there was some vocal things she did where she kind of like her breath was fading out and it got like shaky and i'm like that's the exact thing connor oberst does in bright eyes and i don't know of like music from the 70s or before that even that kind of utilizes that vocal technique and there's just all these little things that popped up through the album like that where i was like that's a crazy vocal technique and there's tons of them just packed into this album so i was blown away by that i think she sounds 20 or 30 years ahead of her time in those i mean the music the production sounds very much of a time but vocally i think she's very cutting edge yeah i got attention also listening to the album kind of two counter forces of her songs that seem like you said ahead of their time kind of progressive songs and sort of a production that felt like somebody was trying to force the sound of the era on her songs that I don't think necessarily benefited the songs. Luckily, the songs were good enough to shine through it, in my opinion, but you can kind of hear that tension, I feel like, throughout I, the record. I agree. She got signed to Columbia in the mid to late 60s and released a couple singles before signing with Buddha Records, which she achieved a little more success through, but was still relatively unknown until her solo performance at Woodstock. The producers of the festival maintained offices in the same building as hers, so she asked to be a part of it. They let her onto the bill. She was 22 years old. Her mother drove her to the hotel, and then Melanie was helicoptered in from there. They had to helicopter the artists into Woodstock because they couldn't get through with the blocked-off roads. And she had no idea how big the festival was going to be upon arrival. She's told on the, towards the end of the first night around 11 p.m., she went on after Ravi Shankar. She was the seventh act to perform, and it was supposed to be the incredible string band that went on at this point. And they refused to play in the rain. And so Melanie, 22 years old, she's played to maybe 500 people total in her life, is told to go out in front of half a million people just her and a guitar standing in the rain in the rain and they just witnessed ravi shankar <laughs> follow that up yeah she said she left her body for a moment and remembers seeing herself walk onto that stage and i, I can believe it in, in yeah that type of scenario she just knocked it out of the park she did a 25 minute set and just either of you watched the link that I sent of her doing Birthday of the Rain? No. Mm-mm. I'm sorry, Birthday of the Sun. I'm glad you try and get us up to speed and we just ignore it. And we've got our own albums to research. You're supposed to tell us about this. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. The, her performance of Birthday of the Sun is just surreal. And while she was performing, performing her song Beautiful People, Just before she went on, uh, the stage manager, John Morris, had tried a trick with the audience, an experiment with the audience that he had seen done at a tiny 
Tim concert the year before where everyone got out matches and held them up in the audience. Oh, the beginning of a classic. This had never been done before. And except for Tiny Tim. Except, well, yeah, Tiny Tim. But at, the, at that level, yeah, at that level in that kind of iconic moment, Melody comes out and is singing the song Beautiful People. And, and I think they had also maybe passed out some candles as well. So there's matches, candles. Is that what they called them back then? Candles? And in the candles around at Woodstock? <laughs> yeah. And b- based on that experience, she wrote her song Lay Down Candles in the Rain, which uh, became a hit for her. And Sean, a number of years ago, when Sean and I were living together, we were sitting around listening to a 10-inch record by the Strapping Field Hands. Yeah. Wait, you guys live together? Mm-hmm. You're my co-host, and I had no idea you guys lived together? For a while. Yeah, yeah about eight, nine years ago. Wow. Yeah. How long did we live together, Peter? Eight or nine months, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. No wow. funhouse days. And he was, you know, Sean had, even then, had pretty massive record collection i don't know how you came across that one was that on a label you liked yeah that's on silt breeze records at the time i was really into that 90s noise rock sound was collecting anything i could find on silt breeze and shimmy disc particularly yeah they do kind of a shambling rendition of this which was from 1994 and i guess was a reference to the 25 year woodstock that happened that year that's why they did they covered that melanie song yeah, and I didn't realize that most, if not all, the songs on that record are covers. I just bought it. I was like, oh, this is really different than a lot of the other stuff on this label, and I really like it. And th- that was actually my favorite song on that 10-inch was the Melanie single. And I think I looked up well after the fact and thought it was a cover and totally forgot that it was a Melanie cover until you mentioned that while doing the research for this episode. Yeah, that really stood out to me because it came out of nowhere. I wasn't expecting it while we were listening to it. Mm-hmm. So she became an instant celebrity from her appearance at Woodstock. Of course, she was not included in the film, as many artists were not. But in the time period, she really became a celebrity as a result of that. Started, as you mentioned, she started becoming being marketed as the quintessential flower child, I would say. And I think that her music, the uh, producer pressure started to push her more and more in that direction, as well as fashion-wise. You get that from this cover of this LP right here. Oh yeah. Let's talk about the cover. It has Melanie on it. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Anything else or no, that really covers it. She looks (laughs) like a hippie. She's got some like gypsy sequin accent going on. Uh, And you know, the hair is like long and a little bit frizzy and tossed, but like, not too wild, just enough to let you know, you know, long hair, don't care. And that's it. White background. I feel like you get an idea of what this LP is going to sound like based yeah, on this Yeah, it's very cover. direct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it, it's just slightly out of focus, too. It almost gives you the the feeling that it's a candid shot and not a specific photo shoot for an album cover. Yeah, Absolutely. I didn't actually, you know, it's probably listed on here, but my research didn't go deep enough to see who the photographer was for this. I mean, yeah, it's it's just a picture of her, so it's <laughs> not a celebrated... In 1970, she was named Best Female Vocalist by five different major publications, Billboard, Melody Maker, Record World, Cashbox, and Bravo. Some of those I've never heard of. I'm glad you named all five, because I was totally going to ask you what they were if you'd... (laughs) Preemptively. (laughs) (laughs) She also played three festivals. 
What are they? The Isle of Wight, Strawberry Fields Festival, and Glastonbury Festival. And she appeared on several popular TV programs. Man, Leonard Conan. 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 (laughs) Leonard Conan the Barbarian. He totally stole Melanie's lighter and match thing. There's the 1970 Leonard Cohen Isle of Wight. I have it right over there in my record stash. And the beginning of it is him just being like, everyone take out your matches, hold them up to the sky. He like, he ripped off Melanie. I had no idea. Hmm. Love the dude. Are you going to get rid of that record now? Cause He's I'll take canceled. It. <laughs> Leonard's canceled. <laughs> hey, doesn't he have a new album coming out? He's like the new Elvis. Yeah. <laughs> she appeared on Dick Cavett, Ed Sullivan, Johnny Carson. I watched an interview with her on there. What shows was she on? Dick Cavett, Ed Sullivan, and Johnny Carson. You already said that. I'm in a loop here. <laughs> I watched some of her interview on Johnny Carson, and she's a very humble personality. Someone who would say that she went out trying to imitate Edith P.F. and Billie Holiday and got it wrong, you know, and did this amazing revolutionary thing with her voice as a result of it. 1971, she and her husband, who was also her manager, Peter Shakarik, they formed their own label, Neighborhood Records. He was also, Shakarik was also her producer, manager, booker, cheerleader, critic, aside from being her husband. When looking up the pronunciation of his name, I found a a post on a forum of someone saying that they had a friend who had managed Melanie for a brief time, I think after Shakarik had passed away, Peter Shakarik passed away in 2010. The friend said that he was the kind of guy who would sell the entirety of his wife's songwriting and publishing rights without bothering to tell her. So maybe the pronunciation is Diek. So he died in 2010, as I mentioned. And it was tough for Melanie. It's been very tough for Melanie since his passing because they had been, you know, partners professionally, romantically for all that time. But in a 2000- I want to interject. I'm going to fully just stop your train of thought. I'm going to steam train this and just say to our listeners when Peter started this, he's like, I'm not going to lean into all this information so much. And just note that he was reading like a post of someone who knew the manager making a joke about the guy's <laughs> pronunciation of his last name, Anko. So in two, yeah, that's a good point, Jeremy. <laughs> I didn't realize how far this would go when actually speaking it out loud. Peter, Peter, what did you major in in college? Public history. Oh, interesting. Weird. This is my 20-page paper on Melanie. I'm trying to condense down into 38 minutes. So I did find an interview in from 2018, fairly recently, with the Sydney Morning Herald out of Australia, where Melanie compares her husband to Phil Spector. Ooh. <laughs> she says, my husband handled my career completely. He was Eastern European in that Phil Spector-ish way. He wasn't a monster, <laughs> and he never killed any, anybody. But, you know, he had this intensity that... And then the article says, she pauses like maybe she said too much. I'm not sure where to go with that. So I won't say anything more about that. I'm not passing judgment, but we just want to stay. I'd buy that for a dollar. Fuck the patriarchy. True. And Phil Spector. Except for all the work he did. But as a human being. Can I just say his work's a little bit overrated anyways? 
the wall of sound is shots fired it's this the wall of sound is so dated true and his like insistence on mono is ridiculous in my mind yeah and it all sounds so uniform you look at like other contemporary amazing producers that explored different things and were trying all these different sounds and had variation and phil sector just had one sound is he dead? Like, is no, he going to try alive. and shoot us? He's oh, almost dead. No, he's going to kill us, guys. First Jimmy Page <laughs> and now Phil Spector. They're going to team up. <laughs> A team of assassins of... Wrinkly old assassins. Wrinkly old dudes that we've offended on this podcast. <laughs> we can build them up. Build up our enemies here. Uh, it does mention that article that her husband, after he passed away, she did find out, unbeknownst to her, that he had sold the royalties to Brand New Key years before. She was unaware of a lot of things. It basically is just toured and recorded constantly for 50 years. Okay, let's get back into the music and listen to something on side two. Ooh. We're going to listen to uh, track three. This is a darker song. It's called Some Say I've Got Devil. Some say I got devil Some say I got angel But I'm just a girl in trouble I don't think I'm in danger Don't think I'm in danger No, I know I'm not in danger Some have tried to sell me all kinds of things to save me from hurting like a woman and crying like baby, something like a woman, crying like a baby, and all the things that I Qualify me for a part in your dream. Qualify me for this dream. And though I'd like to tell it exactly how I feel it somehow. Do you think Joanna Newsom ever heard Melanie? I have a sneaking suspicion that she has. Yeah. I suspect that's just Melanie releasing it under a different name. What if? Trying to cash in. Mm-hmm. You can definitely hear the Billie Holiday influence on that track, though. It makes a lot of sense that she was going for that vibe. Yeah. Yeah, and I wanted to play that one because it's the complete reverse opposite of those peppy innocent sounding songs that we listened to earlier and mm-hmm. it's definitely much darker it's, i guess it's i read somewhere that it's about a pregnant teenager who has no idea what she should do she wrote it from the that perspective heavy yeah melanie's kind of primary time of commercial appeal what am i trying to say 
the main time period that Melanie was her having peak. her peak of commercial success was basically between 1970 and 1972. In the U.S., she had five songs in the top 40 during that time. But she's still going strong. She sold over 80 million albums worldwide. She has a huge discography. I want to say there's 40-something albums in there. Her most recent one was Ever Since You Never Heard of Me from 2010, which was produced by her son, Bo Jared Shakarik, and her late husband. Her voice on that, I listened to a little bit of that today, and it sounds mostly the same. It's a little more ragged. It actually reminded me of Coco Rosie. Oh. That's mm-hmm. a voc- another vocal. Yeah, that's another thing that probably leaned into her. Yeah. And I really don't have a whole lot more information that I wanted to get to. I was going to have us go out on a song we haven't listened to yet, but I don't know if either of you have any input on Melanie. Sean, are you still going to be selling that Melanie album for $3? All day, Fiji Plus. (laughs) Good deal. The nice price. I'm going to take this moment during the podcast to claim that Melanie record. Because I don't have a Melanie record. And I loved that. So... To all those listening, you're screwed. Mm-hmm. I just picked it up. Some Keep, of that, uh, pa- some of that payment that you're gonna get yeah, for. Keep an eye out. Yeah, uh, I'll find uh, another one. Don't you worry. <laughs> yeah, these are all. There's a lot of Melanie albums out there, and all the ones I've heard are consistent. I do think that she, her husband. Well, I don't. He was her producer primarily, and I, I think that the they were pushing for production that was popular of that era, like yeah. you said earlier. But the songwriting shines right through that. Yeah. Her vocal style. Her back. <laughs> she could have been like next level. Well, she's apparently like super famous and sold a bunch of records. And I had never, I've like vaguely heard of her before today. I don't think that she's yet to be appreciated by this generation or, you know, the last two or three generations. Yeah. There is something to be said for classic female artists in the record collecting world that just don't get the appreciation or hold the value of their male contemporaries. A lot of the guys who were collecting records in that time period definitely had a much more, perhaps even unconscious, but definitely sexist approach to what they were listening to and what was allowed to be on the radio and what had promotional money put behind it. So there's a lot of really cool underappreciated female musicians from that time period i mean and all time periods let's be honest but yeah yeah i would say in the late 60s if it's not janice joplin or Joni mitchell there are very few other those still collect joan baez those probably i think those records go for a little bit more or or yeah generally oh you can find joan baez real cheap yeah not, yeah joan baez is actually even cheaper than melanie but janice joplin is not cheap well i wanted to go out on ring the living bell which is a pretty soulful cut off of this record it's on side one jeremy was this a charting hit for her it was let me see Peaked at number 31 on March 11th, 1972. Okay. Yeah, because when I was listening to the record, I was familiar with this one already. And I feel like, I don't know if I heard it on the radio or where I'd encountered it before. But Yeah, and I don't know if this is one that would get played on oldies stations or what, where. I mean, nowadays you have satellite radio, which play a wider variety of hits that got buried. Yeah, yeah. I don't know where I encountered it. This is one of my favorite Melanie songs. Ring the living bell. Ring the living bell. Shine the living light, ring 
I've been celebrating way too long and I've been drinking, I'm ashamed to tell. Still feel thirsty, gotta wanna drink the water from the well. Still feel thirsty, gotta wanna drink and ring the living bell, ring the bell. this song I feel like there's a recent hipster artist that I love called EMA Uh, it's Erica M. Anderson is the person who makes the music and she has a song that I'm positive has to be an homage uh, to that intro or she has an intro to one of her songs that is just so spot-only similar to that intro that it must be an homage of some sort. I'm not familiar with that artist, but I'll have to check that out. Do you know the name of the song? No. A-plus content. Aren't you glad we came back just for that? (laughs) Yeah, after the outro, that that needed to be on this episode. Thank you. This has been... I'd... Bye that for Four. a dollar. dollar my name is jeremy ruggles my name is peter cook my name is sean hartman please join us next time thank you so much for listening to another fine episode of i'd buy that for a dollar if you like that and you want to talk to us about how much you liked it or if you want to correct any of our fraudulent information that we just put on there you can email us at i'dbuythatpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram, but not Twitter, at i'dbuythatpodcast. And if you really, really liked it and you've got some extra cash somehow, you can hit us up on Patreon and you can give us money. And if enough of you give us money, we might even put some extra episodes on Patreon just for you. Just only for you. Thanks for listening. Please like, subscribe, and share.